Welcome back to Season 3, Episode 7 of Aggie Hoops Weekly, and we've got some good basketball to discuss. We're going to open with the non-conference closing win over Texas Southern, a better-than-expected effort at Arkansas, and a solid home-opening win against Mississippi to bring us to 1-1 in SEC play. Let's roll. Welcome back to Aggie Hoops Weekly. We have three games to talk about this week, including two wins. I think we've got a lot to talk about this week, David. So let's jump in and uh, get the pulse check right off the top. Let's do it. And I'm excited about this one because I'm not sure how many times you and I are going to talk and say that sentence again of like, hey, good to hear from you again. Let's talk about two wins. I don't know how many more of those we have. (laughs) This might be the last time we say that. So I'm just going to keep saying it into the mic. Two wins, two wins. Let's discuss two wins. But let's do it. We're like you said, we we won uh, two out of our last three, four out of our last five, in fact. And really quickly off the top to kind of explain how I'm feeling. uh, The program in general is really trending upward ever since that disastrous loss to Fairfield. And our last six results, I'm just going to lay this out real quick. We lost to Texas on a neutral floor, but we did fix many of our defensive rebounding issues in that loss. We then cut down on our turnovers in a close win against A&M Corpus Christi, which up to that point had been the reason we were continuing to lose. And then we had that really, really nice 15-point win over Oregon State, at which point we had another home paycheck win over Texas Southern, a really better-than-expected effort at Arkansas. And then the game we just saw last night, the uh, victory over Ole Miss in the SEC home opener. So... I'm in a good mood, man. Like things keep trending upwards. It's really, really easy to get excited about the state of the program right now. Yeah, and I think the we'll talk about this more in depth, obviously, when we get to the Ole Miss game. But I think the way that the team won last night really has me buzzing. Pardon the pun. Sorry. Sir, no, uh, yeah. I, I can't yeah. excuse that. I, I know. If I, I laugh, then I encourage that behavior, and I just I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> terrible. But no, it it, it it's. It, it does it does make me excited, right? I was really pumped after that win last night, and it was something where you know you wo- you woke up, the sky was a little brighter, uh, you know things things felt a little better uh, this morning. So I, I like the direction that this thing is headed. Uh, that's not to say that we're we're all thinking there's an NCAA berth around the corner, and no, that's we've said this before. We'll say it again. We're going to have to be patient, but. You're seeing progress, and that's that's all I want at this point is just see progress, seeing evolution in this team, and, and we're seeing exactly that. I, I can't agree more. I mean, we're getting exactly what we needed out of this first season, so I'd suggest let's just hit it, and we're going to start with Texas Southern, which is really the least interesting result and the game in which we learned the least, so I kind of want to spend the least amount of time on it. The easiest way to describe how this one went down is that it mirrored pretty much every other paycheck home game we've had in that we won. But there wasn't too much else we could take away from it, Um, as is the case in in these games where we're playing lesser opponents. We didn't really jump out to a great start. I believe we had a 27-24 halftime lead. Uh, And we thought this is the game coming off the Oregon State win. It's our last easy, quote-unquote, easy opponent before SEC play. I was hoping we could just launch into conference play with a solid, easy, double-digit home victory. And it became apparent as we went into the second half this was never going to become that. So much so that a a 10-0 Texas Southern run pushed them into the lead with just a few minutes remaining. And Blake, the... Uh, stadium kind of started getting filled with this really nervous energy because all of a sudden it became possible it became apparent that if we don't make a play we're going to lose luckily we did make plays and when i say we it was josh nebo specifically who was really really good on both ends to help us pull this one out and i found myself kind of in the same mindset where i've been really after every uh, game against a non-conference opponent 
where I'm, I'm excited that we made the plays down the stretch to win, but I'm also a little bit annoyed that we needed, you know, clutch plays to beat the likes of Texas Southern, A&M, Corpus Christi, Louisiana Monroe, Troy, right? It's like we've seen the same thing over and over again where someone does step up to make the play and you're happy to see that, but then you're kind of like, man, it would be nice if in one of these games we pulled away and, you know, got to put our feet up a little bit. Ultimately, it's a 58-55 to 55 win. And like I've said in other episodes, given the landscape of college basketball where teams are just losing these home paycheck games hand over fist, uh, we found another one. We found another win, so I'll take it. Yeah, exactly right. You know, you're you're happy to get a win. I think that the team tends to play down to the level of their competition in, in these types of games. And then you end up in these situations where it's a tight game late, and, and so then you have to kind of go back and assert yourself. And Buzz has said it before, and we're seeing it time and time again. It's, it's hard to win basketball games right now across the country. Every team is str- out there struggling. You look at Kentucky, which was preseason number two in the country, and uh, they're, they're sitting at number 14 right now. And it's one of those things that it's just a tough environment. There's a lot of parity in, in college basketball, but the I think the quality of play is down across the board a little bit. And that really ends up affecting the top end teams more than than the bottom end teams. So it kind of brings the overall level down, and it's just it's your 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 teams are vulnerable. So especially if you're a power five and you're playing one of these paycheck games, one of these guys gets hot, has a big night. Uh, you know they'll they'll go off and beat you. And in this Texas Southern, it was it was weird just because. Watching the game, I felt like A&M was the better team, but Texas Southern just kept hanging around and hanging around, and I kept wondering, why is this lead not bigger? We look like the better team, but Texas Southern would go on these little flurries and these runs, and you you you'd turn around, and all of a sudden there's there's seven points, or there's you know there's eight points straight from Texas Southern, and they're right back in it. The other big takeaway for me in this one was the return of Savion Flag. Uh, he had 18 points. He looked great. This was Savion that we've needed to see all year, um, and we've only seen him in this capacity really a couple times, I think, to this point in the season. So it was nice to see him reemerge and kind of, I think he's starting to find his footing in, in Buzz's system. I think so too, and what it's really the opposite of what we alluded to earlier. So earlier we talked about him playing slow, playing tentative. Now he's just playing faster. He's thinking less. He's doing more. His first instinct, which is almost always correct, I mean, he's always been a heady basketball player with a good offensive awareness. He's starting to trust himself again. He's just starting to act. He gets the ball, he acts. He doesn't think. And so, yeah, he had a good day. I think he had, what was it, 18 points and was, I mean, our best offensive threat for the entire afternoon. So that was a good one. And I'll, I'll tell you, Blake, my, I've started to approach these paycheck games completely differently. I used to look for them as expecting a double-digit win and like what what are these small facets of our game that we can work on? You know, can we use it as an extended practice basically? Now I'm just like, whatever, just let's get a win and get out of here without getting anybody hurt, right? Like it's just we've seen too many of these results across the college basketball landscape. I, I mean, I know it's probably a little defeatist of me, but I'm just thinking, man, let's just get a win and get out of here. <laughs> That's really where I land with these. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, especially with the state of the program where it is now, that's that's all you should expect, right? Is just hope for a win, get out of the thing, and and move on to the next one. So we're not in a place at this point where we should expect to have, you know, a twenty twenty five point victory where you, the guys on the end of the bench get ten fifteen solid minutes of playtime at the end of the game. We just have to realize that that these these games are going to be dogfights for us right now. We're just not quite in a position yet 
where where we're ready to blow these teams off the floor in the first half and coast the rest of the way. And the good news is, is the paycheck games are over. So this was the last one, and and now we get to move into into the big boy basketball. We do, and and boy, did we, man. Um, we, I'll, I'll say this. Whenever I look at the SEC slate to start a given year, at Arkansas is always the first game I toss in the loss column, right? It's like whenever you try to lay out whatever our conference record might be at Arkansas. This is just, I mean, this has been basically us going to Arkansas to play basketball is Arkansas football coming to Jerry World to play us. Like, this is just a building. It's a house of nightmares for us. And I know we did actually get a win last year. Which, uh, fun fact, Blake, was the first time we had beaten Arkansas in Arkansas in my life. And I'm not a terribly young person, but that, that win we got last year at Bud Walton Arena was our first since 1986. So that's the kind of problem we're dealing with. Not even in a are we better or does our style mesh with theirs. That's just kind of the overall narrative, right? The, the off-court <laughs> uh, bugaboo surrounding this game is that we just always seem to lose at Arkansas. And then you add to that the fact that they're 11-1 and one and on the fringe of the top 25 pole heading into this game. You add to that, they, they like to play extremely fast and they're very good at imposing their style, whereas we can only win if we grind games down to a halt. Then you add to that that this was a sellout, 18,200 packed to the gills, their biggest crowd at Bud Walton in four years. I mean, this was a rabid crowd that just came off of a terrible football season. They've got a really exciting new coach. I mean, they were out for blood. And Blake, we played a great game. I mean, it, this, that, that was an intimidating, college, an intimidating college basketball environment. There was no way around that. And we held up really, really well. So I wanted to lead with that because I honestly, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I thought this was a game that we could have just gotten blown out off the bus, right? I, I thought maybe this one's going to get out of hand. We did a really, really, really good job. Um, so I'll, I'll move to the game here pretty quickly. But I will say, so like I said, we kind of held our nerve early whenever Arkansas tends to kind of blow people away with that frenetic pressure. You know, at, at times they run five guards and they just trap aggressively. They press aggressively. We held our nerve. You know, we dealt with all of that. And really the only reason we were down at halftime is we kind of lost our concentration for a little bit. And there was a late 9-1 Arkansas run to close the half that gave them a 42-33 to halftime edge. But we we got it back together, man. Like we really, really clamped down defensively. I think there was a stretch in the second half where Arkansas missed eight consecutive shots. And look at the scoreboard, and it's 52-50 Arkansas with 10 minutes remaining. And I'm telling you, man, you could feel it through the TV. That nervous energy I mentioned against Texas Southern, that was rampant in Bud Walton Arena. It was all of a sudden these these Arkansas fans they came they came expecting to see a coronation. You know, they came expecting a party, and they had a fight on their hands. And I will say, Arkansas, they're a good team. They did enough down the stretch. I think, you know, we did cut it to 52-50. They immediately scored, and I don't think it ever got within one possession after that. But we made them work, man. And I'll tell you, I came away really, really pleased with that result. We really hung in there for, for a full 40 minutes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, Musselman has a, a great thing going there. There's going to be a natural inclination to try to compare the work that, that Musselman is doing at Arkansas with the work that Buzz is doing here at A&M. And I would caution against that, especially in this first year. These these programs were in two different places, and, and it's two very different approaches, right? Musselman had some foundation there, and, and he's he's looking to build a team that's ready to win now, whereas Buzz is, Buzz is more methodical. He is building, he's not building a team, he's building a program. And he's he's had to kind of strip everything away and go back to the foundations and back to the basics and, and build it up from the bottom. So it's it's a different it's a different perspective. So I don't want people to get lost in in this comparison of, well, they're already, 
you know, they're already 11, now 12 and 1, and back to a, a serious contender state. That's that's okay. We're, we're, we knew we weren't going to get that kind of turnaround. Um, but I was really impressed with what the Aggies did. I know that turnovers are, have been an issue for our program. Seemingly on the surface, you look at it and say 17 turnovers against Arkansas, not great. But that's 17 turnovers against Arkansas at Bud Walton. I'll take uh, it, man. Yeah, honestly, I, give yeah. me that. Give me that any any day of the week. So in this situation, I was really impressed with the preparation, the way the team came to play. When Arkansas went in, went on that run at the end of the first half, you wondered, okay, are the Aggies going to respond in the second? Are they are they going to have the stomach for the fight? And they did. They got themselves right back in the game. And having that kind of response in in a very hostile environment where this program historically has not played well um, was really encouraging. So I, I'm not disappointed in the least with 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 this game. And I've got a couple follow up points I want to hit. Your first, your reference to the to the turnovers. I think the the fact that we kind of kept them somewhat under control, kept them down at 17. That was a credit to Andre Gordon. He played big minutes in this game. He was our best offensive player, and like we've referenced multiple times at this point, I mean, that pressure at Arkansas, that can break you. That can break a true freshman point guard, right? And he held his nerve. He played well. He had a two to three assist to turnover ratio, but given the amount of time the ball spent in his hands, I came away that way from this game feeling better than I have all year about you know Gordon's future uh, running the point for this team. The other point I wanted to make is you talked about how well we responded in the first part of the second half, and we did. Uh, as I referenced in the in the review, we had the eight straight field goals that we forced Arkansas to miss. I think that had the aggregate effect of giving them maybe six, six and a half minutes without scoring. In that same stretch, we went two for 11. So it's like we don't have the shooting yet to take to really take advantage of those uh, of a five, six minute stretch where we put the clamps down on defense. That will come in time. I'm impressed that we have the effort level and the. Uh, the schematics. I'm impressed that we have the ability to force that eight straight missed field goals, right? The shooting will come in time. We'll be able to take advantage of those stretches in time. Uh, that's not where we are right now, uh, obviously, which I guess is this as good, as good a time as I need to talk about the historically low shooting run we're on right now, because I, re- I really think we can't avoid it any longer. So tip of the cap to uh, C-06. Uh, during, during the Ole Miss game, Last night, he he posted, which you and I talked about this last episode, that at the, at the time, Texas A&M was 352 out of 353 teams in Division One college basketball. Uh, at, at By the game last night, uh, we had reached the, the, the great low of uh, 353 out of 353. So if we're going to be the worst, let's go all the way. But the, the really interesting statistic was not just that we were the worst this year, we were the wor- this is the worst three point shooting performance of any team since 1997, and the only reason we can go back to 1997 is the statistics resources that that we have at our disposal only go back that far. And so at first, I honestly did not believe it. So I went back and double checked all the records myself. And so tip of the cap to C double six man, um, really really insightful statistic. Really discouraging, uh, depressing. It's incredible. It's it, it really is. It's incredible, and it's so depressing. But looking at how historically bad this team's three point shooting is, is it, it really is an abomination at this point. So it's fair to say we're the worst three point shooting team of all time until someone comes along and proves us otherwise. Is that is, is that almost where we're at? Like I it's... think that that's where we're at. So 
I think I need someone can. else to come deliver me a season where somebody's shooting worse than twenty three point four percent. And I'm begging, I'm begging someone to please deliver us that season, <laughs> just so and I can I, feel slightly better about things. Even looking at us right now, I mean, with three hundred and fifty three teams, you wouldn't expect this, but the difference between us and three fifty two is one point six percent. I mean, we're not just last by a little; we're last by a lot. That's a long it is, shot. Yeah. It is. I mean, we could shoot forty percent from three the next game, and I'm not sure we'd climb out of it. So this is. It's truly historic stuff. And like you said, just from a comedic standpoint, it's more interesting to talk about it if you're literally dead last. So I personally almost don't mind that we slipped a little bit further because to me, that's a more interesting story than saying like, oh, we're 349th out of 353. Like, no, let's just – let's really get after it. And and we have. So, I mean, my, my only point on this one is that we have a good shooter in our wings and he was hurt from the beginning. And that's Cassius McNeely who came in as a highly touted four-star. He was the – he was, I would say, the most trumpeted of our incoming guys, and he just got hurt in fall camp, and it hasn't really come together for him physically. I've heard rumors in multiple places that we're just going to redshirt him this year, so that's an example of somebody we have waiting in the wings. I mean, this guy's a pure shooter. He's exactly what we need. I think it's a pretty fair chance we're just not going to see him this year, so I don't know, Blake. I think we're just going to have to take our medicine and you know, maybe invest in the Acme Brick Company. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what else to do. <laughs> well, I, I, I think to his credit, Buzz has at least gotten the guys out of that three-point shooting rhythm. Uh, from the standpoint, we're, we're now looking at probably over the last three games, uh, we, we saw 14 attempts from behind the arc against uh, Arkansas. We saw uh, 17 last night against Ole Miss. And then we saw 24 against Texas Southern. But that's not unexpected. Texas Southern will will pull you into that type of game where, where you're trying to bomb from behind the arc. So uh, we're seeing a lower number of attempts per game, which is which is encouraging for me. It's that, a start. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it, it's a recognition that, look, this isn't a strength, so let's try to shy away from this a little bit, please. Um, and and so I, from that standpoint, you take what you can get. You're not going to like my discussion about the first half of Ole Miss then, but <laughs> you are right. As of the Arkansas game, we did do a, a you know a pretty good job of trying to limit limit our attempts at the thing where we're the worst in the country, which seems like some pretty reductive coaching, but we we did get there, so so that's promising. Uh, one other thing I want to note is that Mitchell got 20 minutes in this game, which is that's news, right? He'd been kind of buried six to eight minutes, kind of instant offense and then get back on the bench. So this was where we kind of started the trend of working him back into the starting rotation. So he got 20 minutes and there were 20 effective minutes where he was not a sieve defensively. And I think that led to his starting the fact that he started against Ole Miss and got even more minutes in that one. So uh, before we move forward, anything else for you in the uh, good, I guess I'll call it a good, a tough loss at Arkansas. Yeah. The, the fact that A&M won the rebounding advantage with, you know, a, a monster effort on the part of Josh Nebo. He had 13 boards. I, I know Arkansas will run five guards out there on you, so it's one of those situations where you kind of look look at look at everything and take that with a grain of salt. But um, you did win the win the rebounding edge, 34 to 27, and so Nebo continues his incredible run. Uh, the guy's just been phenomenal this year, and really has been a savior for for a, a, an under an otherwise underperforming roster I think so he's he's been really a bright spot and I, I I'm running out of superlatives for what he's doing this year at this point uh, I mean it, it's incredible we we haven't lost the rebounding battle 
I think since we inserted Miller next to him in the lineup at the four, basically ever since we started playing Flag, Miller, Nebo together, we have not lost a rebounding battle. So to me, that's that's incredible. Um, and it continues to trend that direction. So it, that's good work by all three of those guys. But you said it yourself, it all starts with Nebo. Another really, really, really good effort by him. Hey, David, before we move on, let's take a quick break and hear this message from our sponsors. So let's jump into the Ole Miss game. So let's do it. Um, this is uh, it's it's going to sound bad at first, but I promise it did end well. So we won this game fifty-seven to forty-seven. But as is tradition, we played a terrible, terrible, terrible first half. I know you have some really fun first half stats coming for us, and I'm not going to step on those. I promise. But this was yet another first half where we did not score twenty points. We were down twenty-nine to nineteen at halftime. Blake, we shot 10 threes in the first half. Uh, how many do you think we made? I know the answer to this because I, I watched the game. But if I was to guess, I would say one and I would be wrong. You would be generous and also wrong. Yes, because it was zero. We shot 10 threes and we missed them all. Uh, Bria and Tyree for Ole Miss was on fire in the first half. He actually dropped 21 in one half, which is extraordinary for, for a college player especially. But yeah, we were down 29 to 19 at the half. And it just, man, the first half in these games is rough. Again, I'll let you expand on that. But I want to talk about how great we were coming out of the break. We came out in the second half. We played our best half of defensive basketball all season. The numbers here, uh, seven, Ole Miss was 7 for 33 in the second half. And uh, I'll tell you what, we held them to under 20 points in the second half. And I have to say, it's nicer on this side of the fence. It's nicer to watch the other team score less than 20 and a half. Uh, and, and really, the, the catalyst was, was Chuck Mitchell. We had an 18 to 2 run that completely flipped this game. Uh, we went from down, I think, 8 to up 10 or up, up 8, I believe. Uh, and Mitchell had nine points during that run. Is only nine points of the game. And Ole Miss just never found a way back in. I mean, we just we put the clamps on them defensively. It was a fantastic effort. Uh, Buzz's energy was off the charts. The players' energy was off the charts. The crowd uh, wasn't the greatest crowd, but those who showed up, their energy was off the charts. And it was just a really, really fun evening. And you know, like I said, end result, 57-47. Good guys win. We're one-on-one in SEC play. Yeah. Uh, going back to Mitchell, uh, this this was a great game for him, I think. Just finding that rhythm, uh, asserting himself offensively, you felt, you felt good about the progress he's making, you know, we've, we've seen flashes from him, kind of that instant offense, like you were talking about, but it didn't seem to be consistent last night, especially in the second half. He was consistent. He was, he asserted himself and, 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 and made Ole Miss pay for, for the times that they wanted to, to drop off and, and sag down on Nebo. Right. So where they started doubling Nebo, Mitchell made them pay. And Mitchell, Mitchell was, was the guy who kind of forced them out of that and said, you're going to have to be honest here. So really good to see him. Nebo again, phenomenal night, perfect night shooting from the floor. He only missed two shots from the line. He was seven of nine. Uh, from from the stripe and then five of five from the floor. His offensive game, I think, is what's been most impressive to me. And we've talked about this before. You really think of him as just a big dunker, but he'll 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 throw down a little baby hook on you. He'll he'll hit a turnaround jumper from from eight feet. So I, I really like the way that his offensive game has evolved. And it it was it was on display last night. He was drawing fouls, getting to the line, and he's actually one of the best free throw shooters on this team. So it's pretty remarkable to see a big man who rebounds, blocks shots, and also knocks down free throws. What a novel concept. But great, great performance on, on his part last night. And I have to say, I didn't know he had that. So we 
whenever I talked about him in our preview, whenever we've talked about him in the past, I've talked about him exclusively as somebody who can flash, either flash from a high screen and you can feed him going to the basket or someone who, who gets you some garbage down low, you know, via putbacks or, or, you know, driving feeds or whatever you want to call it. Not really back to the basket stuff. He has shown that this year. I didn't know he had it. So that has been bar none, the biggest surprise of the year. Um, I say if he if he doesn't make SEC first team all defense, we burn it down. We just go to the offices and we burn them to the ground because he has four more blocks in this game. Blake, he leads the SEC in block rate by a comical margin. So that's my favorite uh, defensive stat for big men uh, in, in kind of the advanced analytics space is they don't just measure total blocks. They measure blocks as a function of how many defensive possessions you play. In the Buzz Williams world, you don't play that many defensive possessions. So his really, really good block numbers are made to look even better with that metric, uh, the difference between him and the next best block rate in the SEC is the same as the difference between second and 12th. I mean, he's just, he's, ta- he's towering over the SEC big men in terms of how productive he is or not, not, not productive. That's the wrong word, but how good he is at protecting the rim. So again, SEC first team, all defense, or we burn it down. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. He's, and he's a possession eraser, right? From the standpoint that he's going to block shots and he's not going to give you second chance points, you know, on, on the boards. So he's doing a great job of, of denying other teams' offensive rebounds. His rebounding last night was phenomenal, I think. That was one of the things that just leapt off the screen uh, to me was the way that he was rebounding the ball, just dominant on the boards. And then, of course, the blocks. You know, it, At this point, it's, it's almost sad that you kind of take it for granted. Just, <laughs> oh, okay, another four blocks, no big deal. Like, that's a big night. And it's just pedestrian for him at this point. So it's it's really cool to see a, a player emerge and and evolve his his offensive game to match the accolades that he's received on the defensive end. But uh, I will I will give Tyree credit. Brian Tyree from Ole Miss was phenomenal in that first half. I really was questioning how we were going to stop him in the second. But to that point, A and M is clearly, clearly a second-half team. This is one of the things that I think with the the schedule at this point, with the 13 games we've played, we can clearly definitively say Texas A&M has established a trend as a second-half team. There is exactly one game in which A&M has scored more points in the first half than in the second, and that was actually the prior game against Arkansas. So in that game, they had 33 points in the first half versus 26 in the second Additionally, from a field goal percentage perspective, there's only one game where AM shot a worse field goal percentage in the second half than in the first. And that was the prior game uh, against Texas Southern. So those are the only, those two games were somewhat anomalies in, in the scoring department. The rest of the, the time, the team offensively has been better from a point scored and from a field goal percentage perspective in the second half. And in most cases, it's really not even close. I guess the best thing I can say is thank goodness because <laughs> with some of these first halves we've put together, if we weren't definitively better in the second half, we would be 0-13. So there's, uh, it, you know, part of that is just how dreadful we've been in the first half. But part of it is that we are at times a legitimately good basketball team for stretches in the second half specifically. So I will say I don't know how many more games we're going to play against the type of opposition that allow us to just take a half off. But this is kind of a a segue to the next part of our schedule. I do think our next game is against one of those teams. So our next game is at Vanderbilt. And I have to say, Blake, 
the analytics kind of support this. They say it's our best chance on paper to win a road game. It sure looks to me like we could 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 we possibly come back home uh, for the game against LSU at two and one in the SEC? I, I think it is. It, it's absolutely a possibility. You know, the likelihood we'll see, but I, I do think it's certainly a possibility. Going back to this concept of first half versus second half, I think that you you have Buzz. Buzz tends to sell himself short on from a tactical perspective, right? He's in, he he he's said as much. He's said, "Oh well, I'm not a great tactical coach. I'm you know the in game adjustments and things like that." I would actually argue against that. I would say he's actually a great tactical coach. Is he the best in the country? No, probably not. But I think what you see is these in-game adjustments uh, allow his teams to have success in the second half because he's able to make those adjustments and get guys in the right place to be successful once he's seen what the other team is doing and, and he's developed tactics to kind of counteract that. And I think Vanderbilt, to that point, represents a great opportunity for him to to put that strategy to play. Now, to Vandy's credit, their their last game was a four-point loss to the number five team in the country, the Auburn Tigers. So, you know, they played. Holy crap. They, I did they, not know that. that yeah, they I guess, played. Was that, was that today? Uh, yes, it was tonight, actually. So they, they lost 83-79 to 79 at Auburn. So Wow, that's a know, great result. Holy yeah, cow. Yeah, it's a great result. But, I am no longer feeling good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I do think we've seen Vanderbilt is is a bipolar team, right? Um, and and with Jerry Stackhouse as their head coach, they're changing things slowly. But I, I don't really know what to expect at this point from Vandy. So I think that there is a good opportunity. They're eight and six, so they've got one more win than the Aggies. But you look at you look at their wins. It, a lot of soft not, wins in there. I would say Davidson's all right. Davidson's yeah. all right. That might be it. You know. Yeah, a common opponent. A&M Corpus Christi, they beat Corpus by five uh, at home. So uh, I think you're actually going to see two pretty evenly matched teams play when when, a- when A&M travels to Vandy. Uh, the only other piece I'll mention here, because we're unlikely to, to do an episode on just that game, so I'll briefly hit the game after that, which is a Tuesday night home tilt against LSU. This one, not feeling as great about LSU, is a, a pretty solid opponent. Uh, I am hoping we draw better for that one. Uh, I know that the, uh, like I mentioned, the crowd wasn't particularly strong for uh, for Ole Miss, but that can sometimes happen in the uh, in kind of that first game of the spring semester, or rather that first game of conference play is almost always before everyone comes back for the spring semester. So obviously that's you know that, that's a tough time to get to get a draw from on the student side, but this is going to be a good LSU team coming to town. They just, I mean, they opened at two and zero in SEC play. They beat Tennessee on the road. No easy task, and then they just uh, they just beat Arkansas at home today by two. So that's that's a really really good win. Um, they appear likely to beat Mississippi State in their uh, in their their game this weekend. So what I'm hoping happens is we could have a three and LSU coming to town against a two and one A and M. What I hope happens, Blake, is I hope that gets us a good crowd. I mean LSU, basically LSU and Arkansas are the two home games guaranteed to draw reasonably well. Uh, every year in the SEC. So if we can get a, a you know bigger than normal crowd out to that game, and if we can play well and just kind of keep doing what we're doing, I'm not saying we need to beat LSU, but if we can play well, I'm hoping we can kind of use that momentum to get some bigger crowds out for the rest of the SEC slate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think you know your best shot against LSU is to do exactly what Buzz is trying to do, right? So grind the game down, drag them to the deep end of the pool, and see if they can swim. They've had a pretty high scoring average. They're 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 putting up a lot of points. 
So I think your best shot against LSU is just limit the limit the number of possessions in the game and see see if they can swim in the deep end. Well, what do you say? Should we have another episode soon where we talk about two wins? Maybe this time next week? I'm all for that. Let's do that. All right, sounds good. Talk to you soon, buddy. 